Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading will be Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks, Daniel. Good morning, everyone. Good morning again. Uh, yeah, so this past several weeks, we on Sunday mornings during our sermons have been talking about culture shock. We've been talking about how when you move from one country to another, it faces you with an entirely new way of living. It's just different than the way you've been used to doing things before. And it's called culture shock. And in a similar way to moving to a new country, when we trust in God and we switch our allegiance from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God, it faces us with new ways of living, new ways of doing things that are just different than the way we've always done them. Different, not just a little different, but shockingly different. And so we've been examining what is this life that God calls his followers to live? What should life look like if you're living as a citizen of God's kingdom? And to examine that, we've been looking at this list that Daniel just read for us, which is called the Beatitudes. It's a list of people that Jesus says are blessed. And we've seen that blessed on one level means God approves of these people. But on another level, maybe a little bit more shocking to us, blessed means these are the types of people that you and I are supposed to look at and envy. That the the blessed people are the ones who lived the, the enviable type of life. So when we see people living in this way, we're supposed to look at them and just think to ourselves, man, I so badly wish that my life could be more like that. And and this is shocking because here's here's what we've looked at so far. Our world envies the rich. And in our first week, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Just completely backwards and upside down. Our world envies the happy. And in the second week, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Our world envies the powerful who get their way. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek who just stop fighting for what they want and stop trying to get their own way. Our world envies the people who can do whatever they want, who don't let any concept of traditional morality hold them back from the things they really want to do. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These these beatitudes have been shocking. They've been completely backwards and upside down to the way our world views life. But today, guess what? We have one that may be a little more normal sounding to us. Something that as 21st century people 
living in the developed world, this is something that maybe we look at and we say, yeah, I, I could see myself wanting to be like this type of person. It's the merciful. Isn't that a trait that we feel like we can get behind and aspire to? I want to be a merciful person. I want to show mercy. You know, you can look at people like Bono who go travel through Africa and help people. And, you know, they've got this celebrity status from being merciful. It's something that our world celebrates on some level. But I'm going to warn you, don't get too comfortable. Because just like in the previous weeks, this is, again, a shocking invitation from Jesus that's going to deeply challenge the way we see the world and the way we live in it. So what we're going to see today is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And we're going to look at a picture of the merciful, why that picture often isn't us, the promise to the merciful, and becoming merciful. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your invitations to us, even when they make no sense to us, that you give us the invitation to live life in a new way, in a way that's in line with the way that you've designed things to work, God. We pray that you be speaking to us today, helping us to hear your invitation, helping us to see it as a good and beautiful invitation, and reshaping us so that we want to live this way as your people, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So first up, the picture of the merciful. If we're going to understand what Jesus is calling his followers to be, we need to start by understanding what it means and looks like to be merciful, right? So I decided this week... I wanted to get an idea of what people in our world think of when they hear merciful. And again, I was expecting like Bono in Africa. So I did a Google search. And when you do a Google search of something like mercy, it just brings up dictionary def definitions, which no one wants to look at, right? So I did an image search. And I was surprised. There was no Bono in Africa. What there was is a character from the video game Overreach named Mercy. Does anyone play Overreach here? I've never played it. But like literally, if you do a Google search, image search for Mercy, that's all that comes up, is this character from the video game, oh, sorry, Overwatch, not Overreach, Overwatch. <laughs> um, and according to one post online, maybe we do have some Overwatch players here. Um, according to one post online, Mercy is quite a popular character in Overwatch because when you pair her with a specific other character, Mercy and this other character can, quote, fly around and do insane amounts of damage. So it seems like for the average video game player, at least in today's world, when, when they think of mercy, the first, time, first thing that comes to mind is someone who's really, really good at destroying stuff, which is basically the opposite of what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the merciful. Sorry, teens. But what is biblical mercy? Biblical mercy is compassion towards someone's misery plus action to help them. Compassion towards their misery plus action to help. Now, a couple things to notice here. First, it's feeling plus action. So if you see someone who's suffering, say someone like falls down and scrapes their knee and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry for them. That's a good first step, but that's not mercy. Mercy takes that feeling and turns it into action. So I read this story this week of a pastor from the UK long ago. He was walking through town one day and he saw that a man he knew had been riding through town on his horse and the horse had just dropped dead in the middle of town. And everyone from town had gathered around because 
this is quite a sight to see. This man, his horse just dropped dead in the middle of town. And so they gathered around and everyone was saying, I'm so sorry for you. What a terrible thing to happen. I'm so sorry. But no one was actually doing anything. They were just watching and offering condolences. They had compassion, but no action. And the, the preacher walks up and he pulls out his wallet and he says, well, I'll tell you what, I'm sorry, five pounds. And he pulls out a five pound note, puts it in his hat, passes it to the next person and says, how sorry are you? This preacher, he, he took his compassion and turned it into action and started a collection for the man to get a new horse. And when he turned that compassion into action, that's where sympathy becomes mercy. When we turn compassion into action, that's where sympathy becomes mercy. It's a feeling plus an action. The second thing to notice is that mercy is aimed at misery. And it's aimed at misery regardless of how that misery came about. So just imagine you have a friend. The people who live underneath your friend one day accidentally set a, a fire in their kitchen. And the fire gets a little bit out of control. It causes some smoke damage in your friend's flat. And your friend has to move out for a few weeks while they come in and repair her flat. Your, your friend is in misery through no fault of her own because her neighbors were careless. If you see her misery and you feel sorry for her and you offer her a place to sleep while her apartment gets repaired, that's mercy. It's seeing someone in misery helping her need. But now imagine it's the same scenario, only instead of the people downstairs lighting that fire, your friend herself lit a fire in her own kitchen through her own carelessness. Her apartment still can't be lived in for a few weeks. She still is in that same situation of needing a place to sleep while her apartment gets repaired. But now she's not a victim. It's completely her fault. Here's where mercy gets tough because mercy isn't focused on assigning blame. Mercy is simply focused on helping misery, even if that misery is their own fault, which is part of why Jesus didn't, doesn't give us any instructions about who to show mercy towards. He just says, blessed are the merciful, because he wants his followers to be merciful towards anyone they see who's in misery that they can help, even if that misery is their own fault. So unlike the video game character, true mercy is not about doing insane amounts of damage. It's about finding people who are suffering and helping them in the midst of their misery. And my guess would be for most of us, if, if we had a friend in that situation where the first situation where the neighbors set the fire that made them unable to live in their flat, and the second situation where they set their own fire, my guess is most of us would find it much easier to help the friend in the first situation, right? Like it's so much easier to help someone when it's like you're just a victim of something that you had no control over, so much harder when it's their own fault. We feel like the friend in the first situation sort of deserves our help in a way that she wouldn't deserve our help if it was her own fault that she was in this situation. But the point of mercy is that by definition, mercy is given to people who don't deserve it. By definition, mercy is given to people who don't deserve it. You can't earn mercy, otherwise it wouldn't really be mercy. If you had the means to pay for all the things you need, and you wouldn't be in a place where you're miserable enough to need mercy. Which is why Jesus calls his followers to simply be merciful. To anyone we need that we're able to help, he says, blessed are the merciful. 
So the merciful person helps those who are suffering and in need. Jesus calls us to be merciful. And I don't know about you, but so often I'm not. Anyone else relate to that? So often we're just not merciful people. So why is this picture so often not us? And there are a ton of reasons, way too many to go into today. We're going to look at four of them. First, I think there's often this fear that if I live this way, if I'm so quick to help people, even if their problem is their own fault, they're going to take advantage of me. They'll capitalize on my kindness. They'll stop doing things for themselves. They'll just put me in charge of dealing with all of their problems. And who wants that? I don't want that. And since they're going to take advantage of me and no one else is going to look out for me, I need to look out for myself. So I'm not going to get involved. And you know, this is bad enough if it happens like out there, you know, I, I see some homeless person on the street and I try and do something to help them. Like there's a limit to how much of their problems they can put on me. But what about when it's closer to home? What about if I'm married to a really difficult spouse? And I'm afraid, you know, like, yeah, things might not be the easiest for, for my spouse, but if I keep loving and serving my difficult spouse, things in the marriage are just going to get worse. They're going to take me for granted. They're going to take advantage of me. Even the little bit they're doing to contribute to the family right now, they're just going to stop. And it's all going to fall on my shoulders. So instead of stepping into their misery and helping them, it's so much easier to withdraw, to stop loving and serving, maybe give them a lecture about how they need to carry their own load, guilt trip them about their lack of contribution to the family. When we're afraid that being merciful will lead to us being taken advantage of, we will not be merciful. If we're afraid that being merciful will lead to us, lead to us being taken advantage of, we will not be merciful. But that's not the only thing that keeps us from being merciful. Sometimes there's this fear that if I try to help, I'll actually do more harm than good. And, and sometimes this is a very, very valid fear. Like if someone's misery is brought on by an addiction, you want to help them, but you're like, how do I help them in a way that actually helps, not a way that just enables them? And, and for many people, that can lead them. That's, that's a genuine fear that can lead to just disengaging, stepping back, not showing mercy. And, and that is a situation that requires tons of wisdom. How do I help in a way that actually helps? And if you're in that situation right now where you're trying to help someone and you just don't even know where to start. I want to say a couple things to you. First, recognize that as you're trying to step into their misery, you're suffering a little bit of a secondary misery yourself. Helping other people in their misery often brings misery onto us. And, and that means that you are in an ideal place to receive mercy yourself. If you're suffering misery because you're trying to help someone else, you are in an ideal place to receive mercy yourself. And God has put a church full of people around you right now to support you and love you and care for you in the midst of that. So you are not alone. And please don't carry that burden by yourself. Second, being merciful and helping is not the same as always saying yes. Right? Like if you're helping someone who struggles with an addiction, you already know this. Sometimes the most loving and caring thing and most helpful thing you can do is say no. And they will not like it. They will accuse you of not loving them. They will get upset with you. But sometimes saying no is the most merciful thing that you can do. And yes, it will hurt 
when they make accusations against you. Yes, it will feel miserable when they say that you don't love them. But again, that's why God has put a church family around you so you are not alone as you help them. And third, don't give up. Yes, it's hard. Yes, you may sometimes make mistakes and try to help in ways that aren't actually helpful. But God has you in this person's life for a reason because he loves you and he loves them and he wants them to be cared for and he has you there to care for them. So don't give up. But again, this is a, a very frequent problem that, that keeps us from showing mercies, the fear that if I try to help, I'll do more harm than good. Another big barrier to showing mercy is pride. You know, this is especially when, when someone's misery is brought on by their own actions. It's so much easier to look at them and think, well, you know, why can't they just stop doing this thing that they're doing? Look at my life. I didn't get myself in that position. Why can't they be more like me? We look down on them. We judge them. We blame them for their suffering. We see ourselves as better than them. We see ourselves as separate from them. We see ourselves as not called to love them. And to the extent that we believe we are fundamentally different than the suffering people around us, we won't be merciful to them. To the extent we believe we're fundamentally different than the suffering people around us, we will not be merciful to them. Mercy starts with the understanding that I'm just as messed up and broken as they are. And the only difference between me and them is that God's grace and mercy have rescued me from myself. When we're able to see others through that lens, that the only difference between me and them is that God has rescued me from myself, it puts us in a place where we're ready to show mercy to them. And then one more big reason that we don't show mercy in our world, I think one we probably don't often associate with this subject, is how busy we are. Maybe we see people suffering and in misery around us, but our schedules are just so packed that we don't have time to help. Have you ever considered that maybe your overscheduled life is keeping you from God's blessing? There was a study done several years ago about seminary students. So people who presumably are like training to become pastors, people you hope would be good, solid, loving, kind, caring people. And they, the students had to go to a classroom on campus, prepare to teach a lesson on the story of the Good Samaritan, and then walk across campus to teach this lesson. And on their way from classroom A to classroom B, as they were walking across campus, each of them had to walk past a man who was slumped over in an alleyway. Who knows why? Who knows what's wrong? But he clearly needs help. And as they walked past this man, he would cough twice <coughs> to try and get their attention. Every single person prepared the lesson, walked past this man as they were on their way, and then taught the lesson on the other side of campus. And do you know the number one biggest factor in determining whether or not people stopped to help this man. Does anyone think, oh, they were teaching on the Good Samaritan. They must have all stopped to help. No. The number one biggest factor in whether or not they stopped to help this man is that for half of them, as they left the first classroom, they were told, hey, you know, you got plenty of time. Take a nice, relaxing walk across campus. For the other half, they were told, uh-oh, sorry, we lost track of time. You don't have much time. You got to hurry to get there or else you're going to be late. People who were told to hurry were far less likely to stop and help this man in need, even as they were going to teach on the story of the Good Samaritan. When we are busy, it just gets in our way of being able to show mercy to others. 
And we in Hong Kong know a thing or two about being busy. Year after year, our city is ranked as having the longest work hours of anywhere on earth. And then when we're not at work, we have gym memberships and classes and meals with our friends and activities for our kids. Like we are busy. Often we're too busy to even notice the people hurting around us. And even if we do see them, we're too busy to stop and help. But if we're so busy that we have no time to show mercy, we're so busy that we have no time to receive mercy either. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If we're too busy to show mercy, we're too busy to receive mercy as well. And Jesus says there are great blessings for those who are merciful. So let's look at those blessings and the promise to the merciful. See, if you struggle to show mercy, whether it's for one of the reasons that we just looked at or for a number of other reasons, hopefully Jesus' promise here has power for you. Because he says, if you live in a way that shows mercy to others, the end of the story is not you being taken advantage of. If you genuinely show mercy, the end of the story is not you enabling others. The end of the story is that you will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And with each of the Beatitudes we've looked at so far, this happens on two levels. There's the level of eternity and the level of right here, right now. Fully in eternity, partially right here, right now. So on an ultimate eternal level, the merciful receive mercy. When God rewards us with new resurrection bodies that live forever in the new heavens and new earth. That's the promise the Bible gives to Christians, that for eternity, you will have a new body that's no longer able to sin, no longer able to suffer from the effects of sin, doesn't get sick, doesn't break down, doesn't die, but just lives in bliss in a perfect universe. God sees our misery right now, and he has taken steps to help us. And one day we will experience that in full, the blessing and mercy that he has for us. God will be completely merciful to his followers for eternity. But God also wires the world here and now in such a way that the merciful receive some level of mercy here and now as well. You know, one of our excuses that we often use for not being merciful, if I show mercy to them, I'll be taken advantage of. Now, there is a true belief about the world that's operating in the background with that fear and drives that fear. And that true belief is I cannot control other people's hearts. Right? That's true. I cannot change anyone else. I cannot control their hearts. That's, that's true. And that's what drives that fear of us being taken advantage of if we show mercy. And on one level, because this is a broken world, we, there will sometimes be people who take advantage of us if we're merciful. But have you ever stopped to think about how people change, how people become more loving and merciful? In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says that God's kindness to us is meant to lead us to repentance. So think about this. God looks on the world. He has a perspective of eternity. He can see everything happening in the universe all at once. He knows how everything works together best. He sees all of the mess that we're making. He wants to change us into better people who can live in a way that makes the world a better place. And what does he do? He doesn't come down and lecture us about how terrible we are, how we just need to do better. He doesn't leave us to our own devices so we can just make the mess even worse and get to this point of desperation where we're like, fine, help me, I need it. 
when he wants to change us, he shows us kindness. And Paul says receiving that kindness stops us in our tracks. It makes us realize I've been living all wrong. It leads to repentance, which means turning from the way that we were living before and and now living in a new direction. God's kindness makes us kind. God's mercy makes us merciful. That's the pattern that works from God to people, but it's also the pattern that works from people to other people. So it's true, you cannot control other people's hearts, but if you want to create a fertile soil for them to be able to repent and change and be merciful to you, do you know the first step to take? Give you a hint, it's not a lecture. It's not ignoring you till they come begging you for forgiveness. It's kindness and showing mercy to them. Kindness and mercy creates the context where people are most likely to want to be kind and merciful back to you. When we are merciful to others, others tend to become merciful towards us. The promise starts here and now. And sometimes it's the people that you're merciful to. Sometimes it's other people who see you showing mercy and say, I want to help that person as they show mercy. Justine and I have experienced this personally. In our old church, there was a family who was about to have a baby and didn't have a place to live. Uh, They were in a really tough situation. They were in misery. And so we showed them mercy. Justine said, how about you come live with us? So we stepped into their misery and offered to help them. And they said, that would be wonderful. We would love that. And in order to get our house ready for this new family to live with us, we had to get some new stuff. We tried to be as economical as possible, but it cost us about 5,000 HKD to get our house ready for this family to move in with us. And I don't know where you are financially. For some people, 5,000 HKD is like, whoa, a ton of money. For some people, it's like, oh, that's nothing. We were at a point in our lives at that time where it was like, we, we have 5,000 HKD, but it's not just lying around waiting to be given away. Like, this is going to hurt a little bit. But we figured we're just going to accept that as the cost of helping this family. We won't say anything about it. We'll just deal with that as a little bit of misery that comes from helping them. And then one Sunday, someone in our church just walks up to us and they said, hey, I heard that you're having this family live with you, that you're helping them. My family and I just wanted to do a little something to to support you guys as you do that. And he hands me a check. And he guessed how much the check was for? 5,000 HKD. He had no idea that's what we spent. But God worked in such a way that when we were merciful to this other family to lift them from their misery, he brought other people to us to lift us from the misery that came about as we helped them. We were merciful. God arranged for us to receive mercy. Now, is it going to happen that exact way every time you show mercy to someone? No, probably not. But does God work for our good and provide for the merciful so that they receive mercy? Yes, he does not just in eternity, but right here, right now as well. So what could it look like in practice to show mercy? Say you're married to that difficult spouse we were talking about earlier. What does it look like to be merciful to them? It could really be any number of things. It could be helping with chores around the house to take the load off of them. It could be listening when they share with you about their troubles. It could be encouraging them when you see them doing something well, even if they're doing 99 other things wrong. Remember, if your spouse is going to change, which again, you cannot control that, that's totally outside your control, the context in which change is most likely to happen is one of love and service and mercy 
not one of you nagging and acting as their conscience on their behalf. Your kindness and mercy create healthy, fertile soil in their hearts where their own kindness and mercy can grow as well. And your spouse may never change. But as you intentionally keep showing mercy to them more and more each day, guess what's going to happen? God's going to be working in you, making you just a more merciful person overall. That mercy is going to spill out into your other relationships as well. And God will use that to bring other people around you who can be merciful to you, even if your spouse never changes. The merciful will receive mercy. So mercy is so beneficial to others. It brings such great benefits to ourselves. We should just go do it, right? We all know it's not that easy. Even if we get that in theory, there's still something that keeps us from being merciful to the people around us. So how do we become the merciful people that God wants us to be? Well, let's look at becoming merciful. I mean, what if no one ever responds to your mercy with mercy here on earth? You're just being kind to everyone and no one's ever kind to you. Is it still worth it to be merciful? And the answer is yes, because God has been merciful to us. You know, if you think through the Bible, all the great heroes of the Bible, all the incredible things they did, do you know how many of them are described as merciful? Any guesses? How many think it's more than five? Less than three? It's less than three. It's one, actually. Any guess who? Say it louder. It's Jesus. Yes, you're right. Sunday school answer, always right. If you look through the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word merciful is used 13 times to describe God. But out of all the great heroes of the faith, like Moses and David and Abraham and Ruth and Boaz and Esther, none of them are described as merciful. And in the New Testament, this word, it appears twice, once right here and once in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, where it says, therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Being truly merciful, it's a trait of God. God is inviting us to be more like him with this beatitude. And like we said, it's by experiencing mercy that we become merciful. But what's the greatest mercy available to any of us? It's the mercy that Jesus showed us on the cross when he died to set us free from all the misery that all of our sin brings. If we truly understand the weight of our sin and what a mess we've made of the world because of it and the extent that Jesus went to to rescue us from ourselves, it will make us the most merciful people possible. This was the point of Jesus' parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18. If you don't know the story, this, this man owes his king, a servant owes his king 10,000 talents, which was a, a unit of money back then. In modern money, this debt is somewhere between 10 and 18 trillion US dollars. So like his individual personal debt was half of the national debt of the USA. And we all know how out of control that is. Like this man was over his head, a thousand lifetimes could not have paid off this debt. And so the king orders this man and his family to be sold as slaves and everything they own to be sold off to pay off their debt. Not that that would make a difference in a debt that big, but do what you can, right? And the man begs for mercy and the king says, your debt is completely forgiven, which is huge, right? And so what does the man do? He goes out, he finds another servant who owes him some money, 
100 denarii, which not a small sum of money. Like in today's world, this other servant owes him somewhere around 25,000 US dollars, like 200,000 HKD. That's a lot of money, right? But compared to the 10 plus trillion that he's just been forgiven, it's nothing. And when he finds this man who owes him the 200,000 HKD, what does he do? He grabs him by the neck and starts choking him and says, give me my money. He refuses to forgive the man's debt. He throws the man in prison and says, you're going to stay there until you pay off every last penny. And the king hears about it and says, yeah, that, that's not okay. You're going to prison too. And the point of the story is if you've truly been forgiven, you will forgive others. If you've truly received mercy from God, you will be merciful to others. Other people may genuinely owe you and have debt to you. Other people may genuinely be undeserving of help. Mercy doesn't mean you downplay that reality. Mercy gives us the ability to look at the debt they owe us and say that's a real debt that needs to be paid off. But God paid off so much greater of a debt for me. And if he can take my debt on himself and set me free, I can take their debt on myself and set them free. In light of the forgiveness God shows us, we can choose to forgive others great debts that they have towards us. And to the extent that we believe God has been merciful to us, we will be merciful to others. So how do we become more merciful? Well, a great first step is by meditating on the gospel. Because the more deeply you understand the great misery that your sin has caused and the great gift that God has given in showing you mercy, the more you're going to long to be merciful to others. I'm convinced a huge part of why we don't think sin is that big of a deal is because it has so thoroughly infected our world that we can't even imagine a world without it. But if you have time this week, just stop and think, what would the world be like if there was no selfishness or greed or lying? It's hard to imagine, right? Like, what would the world be like with no selfishness or greed or lying? What would the world be like if there was no death and things didn't break down? Wouldn't that be wonderful? What would the world be like if none of us ever felt the need to hide anything about ourselves from others? And not because we have like all of our sense of shame and propriety just shut off, but because there's actually nothing to hide. What would the world be like if we were so connected to the animals that they listened when we spoke to them and understand them and we didn't need to fear them harming us? What would the world be like if every moment of every day you and I could go through life consciously and joyfully aware of God's presence with us and confident that we are doing exactly what he wants us to be doing. Wouldn't that be liberating? Can you even imagine a world like that? That's the beautiful world that sin has destroyed. A world too beautiful for us to even imagine. Sin is not a trivial thing. It unravels the fabric of the universe. The mess we have made of God's world is a debt that we could spend eternity trying to pay off and still fall short of making payment in full. But Jesus made that payment for us so we can be set free of our misery. What an amazing gift. If he has truly forgiven you of that incredible debt, who can you forgive this week? If he's truly shown mercy to you in that abundant way, who can you show mercy to this week? Again, we don't show mercy to put God in our debt. We show mercy because God has already shown us so much deeper mercy than we could ever show to anyone else. Step two of becoming more merciful, pray for it. We can't change hearts, not even our own. For a heart to be changed, it takes a miracle, but God can do miracles. So pray for God to do a miracle in your heart. Pray for him to help you understand and appreciate his mercy for you 
and to make you merciful towards others. And then step three, try it. This week, keep your eyes and ears open for who around me is in misery or suffering. And when you notice them, don't ignore them, but enter into their misery. Ask yourself, like, how would I feel if I was in their situation? What would I want someone to do for me if I was in their situation? Now remember, you're not the savior. It's not your job to completely heal everyone's misery. Even if you wanted to, you can't. But as you see this person in misery that God's put in front of you, what can you do for them? How can you turn compassion into action towards this person? Like the pastor we talked about at the start of the sermon, he couldn't buy the man a new horse. Maybe he could and just didn't have enough compassion to do that. I don't know. But he felt sorry five pounds. As you see other people and you're sorry for their suffering, what does that look like in action? And if you don't feel sorry for them, try to help anyway. I think sometimes there can be this fear in Christian circles that like if I do the right thing without my heart really being in it, then that's bad. But actually sometimes God uses our obedience even when our heart's not in it to change our hearts so they are in it the next time. So even if you don't feel that compassion, still think like, how can I help this person? And try and help and pray for God to give you that feeling next time. Church, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Do you truly believe that? It's shocking, isn't it? The idea that God would want his people to go out and help undeserving people who are suffering, even if it's from their own failures and mistakes. It makes no sense in our world. But neither does a savior who would leave the comfort of heaven to come rescue us when we've made much, such a mess of things ourselves. And to the extent that we understand and believe his great love and mercy towards us, it will make us loving and merciful towards others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are merciful towards us. We thank you that you look at us in our misery, even when it's all our fault, and you help us. Give us a deeper appreciation of that today. Give us a deeper love for you today. And turn that love for you into a love for others as well that seeks to help them in practical ways in the midst of their suffering and misery. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we discussed in the sermon, we show mercy when we understand that we've been shown mercy. We all have a tendency to forget again and again and again that God has shown us such amazing, great mercy. One of the amazing things about God is that he knows our weaknesses he knows our limitations, and he's given us tools to help us remember his mercy. And one of those tools is a meal that Jesus ate with his disciples on the night before he died. As they were celebrating the Jewish Passover together, he pulled out the bread and the wine, and he gave them a new significance for his followers. He said, you guys, I'm about to do something for you that's incredible and amazing, and I know that you're going to forget and you're going to be, need to be reminded again and again and again. And so I want you, when you get together, to eat this bread and drink this wine again and again and again, because it will help you remember. And as you remember, it will make you more merciful. So we now are going to take communion together. Communion is something that's a celebration for Christians. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we are so thankful you are here. But we ask that when the elements come by, you just let them pass. Um, and as we, as we get ready to eat and drink together, if you're reflecting and you realize you have something against someone else in this room, I encourage you to go talk to them and deal with it. 
Because part of what God does in rescuing us is he makes us a family, a family that can love one another, a family that can work through our, our differences together. Because no matter how badly someone else has messed up and how badly they owe you, Jesus has forgiven us far more. And so he calls us and invites us to forgive one another as well. So we're going to have Satish and Manny hand out the elements, and then I'll come back up in a couple minutes to lead us as we take these elements together.